All right, ready? Yeah, I'm ready to get my borb. Can't wait. What? Everyone who does the podcast gets the borb. If I don't get a borb, it's, it's not fair. Welcome back to Pods Unchained, the one and only podcast where we talk about all things Gods Unchained, NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and of course, Gods Unchained. My regular co-host, Copper Pitch, is taking a well-deserved breather. So, joining me today on the pod is my very own TS teammate, The Mudman. The Mudman, how you doing? I'm doing great, Caution. Super excited to be here. Been listening to Pods Unchained all day. Super happy to have you, and uh, great to hear you're well-prepared, because uh, we have a big episode here. Dare I say the most anticipated balance patch of all time oh, has man. landed? I can't wait to get into it. Is that fair to say? Oh, definitely fair to say. 100%. Oh, man. Super thankful. Um, really was starting to consider the possibility that it would never, ever happen. But um, nevertheless, we got a big surprise, at least for me, drop tonight. And um, <laughs> pretty extensive change log, uh, hammering the war archetypes that have completely run things as of late, uh, along with a few peripheral changes. Um, you feel like going through the entire post? Oh yeah, let's dive into it. Fantastic, that's what we're here for. So, first, and very possibly foremost, Rolling Thunder. Formerly a six-mana spell, summon two 3-3 three, three Thundercallers, but if you're frenzied, summon four instead. They would subsequently all buff themselves, resulting in a board of four 7-7s seven, sevens for six-mana. That has been changed too. Summon two three three thundercallers, and if you are frenzied, summon three instead. Now, part and parcel with this change is a change to thundercaller, so we might as well bring that to the forefront as well. Uh, that has been changed from at the end of your turn, if you are frenzied, give plus one plus one to each of your Vikings, to at the end of your turn, if you're frenzied, give plus one plus one to your strongest Viking. So all in all, Rolling Thunder, if you proc the Frenzied first, you end up with a 6-6 six, six and two 3-3s, three, a far cry from four seven sevens. Are you a fan of the change, Mudman? Oh, I love the change. It, it's night and day. It went from being so incredibly strong to super reasonable. Before, it would, like you said before, it'd be four seven sevens. That's 28 damage on the board, and Slayer has the god power that deals 2, that's 30 damage. So before, if they, your opponent played it and you couldn't answer it, you just lost. Now, it's a very reasonable 12 damage on the board, which is nowhere near 30. Nowhere near 30. Less than half as much, some might say. Yeah, some would say that. And, it's uh, way more fair. I, I also forgot to mention, it has increased in mana cost from 6 to 7. So uh, you'll have an extra 2 or 3 turns to prepare for it and to accumulate enough resources or cards to deal with it. Uh, yeah, definitely a massive change, uh, bringing it much closer to, um, you know, I guess what precedent we had for this kind of card. The easiest comp for me, pretty much since the beginning, was the Genesis card Furies, which is a 7-mana card. It summons 3 3 threes, but if you meet a certain condition, if they become 4 threes with Blitz, 
when you compared it to the six mana version of Rolling Thunder, it didn't compare. Now it's a very fair comparison. Like you said, 12 attack on board with upside, where Furies might have Blitz, Thundercallers can continue to buff themselves if they don't, if they aren't handled on the uh, subsequent turn. So uh, yeah, definitely bringing it much more in line with uh, the rest of everything. Um, now Thundercaller itself, going from a three mana, uh, essentially a four four, if you played it on its own, if you're frenzied, but with a much higher ceiling in being able to buff your whole board plus one plus one. Now it only gives plus one plus one to your strongest Viking. Does that strike you as fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think when you compare this Thundercaller to the old Thundercaller, it's it's obviously way way weaker. But I think when you compare this card to other cards, it's still pretty good. I agree. Yep, wholeheartedly. Yeah, like we were talking about before the show here, it could still come down as a three mana four four with you know the right precedent there, but um, much much lower ceiling. It can't be nearly as good as it was almost every time before. Yeah, before we get out of hand fast, you could play it on turn three. You might have one, two, or three Vikings on the board, and then all of a sudden, you have a three mana four four plus. You buffed everything. It was it got out of hand way too quickly. Absolutely. This seems fair. Oh, uh, yeah, agreed wholeheartedly. And, um, yeah, definitely excited. That should uh, definitely tame the Viking archetype a bit. And, um, yeah, but we are not done with the war changes. The next one, I don't know if this is the happiest I've ever been, but um, it is my absolute pleasure to report that there has been a change to the onslaught god power that I agree with. The change, it's gone. Wow. I never thought we'd see the day. I've wanted Onslaught to leave for so long. Everyone has mentioned that Onslaught warps neutral cards, warps war cards. You can't have protected things. You can't have leech things. You can't have deadly things because Onslaught. War is a totally new god now. Cards can come out. Fun decks can be played. This is We should all be incredibly happy with this Onslaught removal. Yeah, sorry to clutch, but um, for everybody else, this was probably fantastic news. I'd venture to say somewhere around 93 plus percent of the community. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, like you said, this wasn't always a balance issue, but it was definitely a overall game design issue in that, like you said, neutral and war cards have been kind of handicapped on account of they couldn't have any of some of the coolest keywords in the game. Protected, Twin Strike, Deadly. I'm sure I'm missing a couple. Yeah, Leech. Leech, for sure, 100%. Um, because, you know, if those cards were good enough to see play in other archetypes, they would be OP in Onslaught if you can give any given creature Blitz on any given turn. Um, so, man, oh, man. This it, the whole patch could have just been remove onslaught and nerf uh, the thunder collar rolling thunder combo and enduring shield and I'd have been happy but boy howdy are we not done we'll get to enduring shield in a sec but um they had to replace onslaught with something and they brought back a fan favorite but in a bit of a different form uh, they brought back enrage it now reads. Give plus one strength and deal one damage to one of your creatures. Now that strength sticks permanently, um, and you know there's no longer a downside of adding burn to your creatures. Instead, it's just take one damage immediately. 
Uh, how do you feel about this change? I think this is a really cool change. It's definitely different than the old Enrage. Taking one damage is way easier to stomach than burning yourself over and over again. You know, you can essentially mitigate the downside of this god power with a trial spirit or a shield bearer or if there's some neutral healing card I can't think of. But uh, mainly it's creatures with like armor and regen we were talking about before. Those are the, the big, big winners of this new enraged god power. Absolutely, yeah. Armor one or above, essentially negating that. Not essentially, it, it, yeah, it, totally it negates, negates it. that one damage. Uh, so you can stack attack buffs uh, while not dealing with any of the downsides there. And uh, like you said, regen... Uh, a bit different because it will be damaged until the end of your turn, so if that factors into your trades, you won't be able to do that. But um, it does undo the one damage at the end of turn. Um, so we have a couple of neutral winners, uh, those being Springbloom Hunter and Underbridge Assailant. Springbloom Hunter, I could see maybe, at some point, maybe seeing play in war, but uh, for the most part, like you said, it's those Armor 1 cards uh my my first thought was Bronze Gate, being able to buff that up to a three four for uh, on five mana, um, you know, and not having to deal with the downside of taking one damage. Also, a uh, one mana neutral card called Skeletal Hoplite. It's a one mana one one Nether with armor one. Uh, that I could very well see that card coming out of the woodwork and uh, finding its way into some war decks. Uh, there's also Valknir Cavalry, a 3-mana 2-1 Viking with Blitz, Twin Strike, and Armor 1. Uh, you can essentially turn that into an unprotected Trojan Battle Mage, but it will have Armor 1. So, uh, you know, can't necessarily trade up into two attack creatures, but if somebody's spamming Animal Bond Critters on the board, you know, you can uh, play it, clear a couple, and then uh, buff it going forward with your God Power without dealing with the downside. And, um... Lastly, a card that I think was hidden beneath all of the OP cards that War had in its arsenal. Um, a new two-mana spell from Divine Order called Hearts of Bronze. It's two-mana, and it's give plus one armor to each of your creatures. Do you see this coming into the fold in any capacity in a Zoo War decks? Yeah, I can see Heart of Bronze being really great. Um, obviously, giving armor plus one to everything is already super strong you have the enraged god power to capitalize off that more but just like in like a real life situation just imagine you play a pyramid warden on turn one and then you play one one mana creature and pip into heart of bronze on turn two like just the pyramid warden having one armor and one other thing like that sounds really strong on its own the fact that you have the one armor to mitigate the damage but you can still buff your pyramid wardens and bronze gates to three attack means they can't be lights levy which is a huge deal or umber arrowed which is slightly less big deal but it, it seems like heart of bronze doesn't need to hit very many creatures for it to be really really good and i think that's a good enough reason for it to see play absolutely yeah um yeah, without the, uh, you know, going tall with the Vikings, maybe we see people try to go wider with uh, War Zoo decks, and yeah, being able to capitalize by sticking plus one armor on each of your creatures is uh, definitely a good way to frustrate your opponent and, uh, you know, really cement your board advantage if you have it. Um, yeah, but uh, man, we are only about halfway through, less than halfway through the War section here. Uh, next up... I feel like it was 50-50 what people were looking forward to more 
Onslaught being removed or an Enduring Shield nerf, and instead we got both. And uh, Enduring Shield has had its strength reduced from 2 to 1, it no longer has Blitz, and now when you attack, it gives Protected to your strongest creature without Protected. So this is a massive difference, needless to say. Um, what do you think is going to have a bigger impact? Is it the reduction in strength from 2 to 1, or is it taking away the Blitz? Uh, no, that's a really good question, because they're both really important. I think taking away the Blitz will probably end up being the bigger deal, just like over a whole lot of games, because you no longer have the ability to play that one card and use it to destroy two creatures like you could before. Uh, like That being said, there's a ton of creatures with two health, whether it be like um, the Acolytes that Light makes, or uh, Drider Sail Weavers, or... Blood Boil Outlaws. Blood Boil Outlaws. Like, you know, the, most one-mana creatures have two health, and it can no longer kill those creatures anymore, which is a huge deal. Absolutely, yeah. You're Like you said there, um, one of the more common plays that I would find myself doing, especially if I was going second playing as War, was trying to make my way towards a turn two or turn three turn where I play Vanguard Axe Woman and Enduring Shield, which allows me to deal four damage without taking any any damage on my creatures, you know, using my health as a resource there. Um, now that's no longer possible. You have to have the shield established already to be able to give Blitz creatures protected, uh, which opens the door for your opponent ruining your plans with Relic Removal. And um, yeah, I think that's the bigger deal is the is taking away the Blitz just because it gives your opponent an entire turn to respond and react to the Enduring Shield before you get any value from it. Before, if you were, you know, any kind of competent player, you would guarantee that you get at least half of the value from your Enduring Shield on the turn you play it. Uh, so Relic Removal's impact has been doubled uh, on the aggregate, I think. And... Um, yeah, the change from randomly give protected to one of your creatures to give protected to your strongest creature, I don't think that'll be all that relevant. Um, I am really interested to see if this still makes it into every war deck. Um, I feel like it's a tricky card. I feel like it'll either be good enough to where, yeah, every war deck still runs it, or it might be not good enough to where it doesn't see a lot of play anymore, maybe except for free-to-play decks. Um, so yeah, this is uh, one of the bigger changes, and one of the ones that I have a pretty tough time trying to figure out whether or not it's great still without actually playing it. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around Gods Unchained without an incredibly strong Enduring Shield. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do think that the card is still like quite powerful. I think it's still like probably in like the, the top 50% of cards, but maybe, maybe now like you'd rather have... An aging veteran or something like you know now there's opportunities for there's a better card in the slot whereas before there was no better card than enduring shield was the best card in the game by far yeah i mean even the uh what's the commander's gladius i believe a trials card uh yeah. two mana one two uh with roar give a creature in your hand plus one plus one uh yeah and that has blitz uh, god blitz yeah so yeah. perhaps that comes into play uh, maybe you just forego the two-mana relic spot, and like you said, just uh, put in another high-value two-mana creature. Remains to be seen. That said, definitely 
better off with this version than the previous version because look at us we're thinking about it yeah and like just a moment ago you said this relic compares to another relic before this card wouldn't compare to anything it was so good and like you mentioned before with the the losing blitz even if your opponent has relic removal one good enduring shield turn is usually all you need to win a game yeah absolutely yep it's enough to establish uh, and cement your advantage on the board and, uh, you know, just keep snowballing from there. But, yeah, no, definitely a reduction in its immediate impact. And um, its ceiling has been definitively lowered uh, in that its strength has been halved. So, uh, yeah, really excited to see this change. And, um, man, oh, man, does this open up a world of possibilities for other archetypes and cards to come into play. And other gods to be played successfully. <laughs> that is very true, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, there's no sugarcoating it. Enduring Shield determined the rest of the meta for... It's been so long now. I've been saying six-plus weeks for what feels like two weeks, but... um. It was a long time, so yeah, excited to start the recovery process, and um, actually excited to queue up for some ranked games later tonight. Yeah, you, you mentioned you know just before how it seemed like a really long time, but you gotta keep in mind that right before they made Enduring Shield this way, that's when we had the incredibly strong call to arms. So, oh like, man. It's been multiple balance patches since we've been able to properly assess all other cards because we went from like, okay, they, they buffed Assassin's Aim, blah, blah, blah. They changed Wildfire. But there's this Call to Arms thing that's warping the meta. And then once Call to Arms went away, here's Enduring Shield warping the meta. It's been so long since we can properly assess how good other gods are. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's um, There are a couple of archetypes uh, that, you know, may come out of the woodwork now that, you know, could potentially be problematic down the road. There are some that have been, you know, questions we've raised, yeah, since Enduring Shield came into existence, like, oh, leech life is gone now. Can anything stop aggro deception? We didn't have to find out because war was so dominant. So now we can finally get started answering those questions. This was a super important step to take in uh, the Divine Order balancing phase. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad it's finally here. Uh, on that note, shall we keep going? Uh, yes. Got a couple more war cards to get through. <laughs> well, that's good. War had so many amazing cards. Yeah. All right, what's the next one on the chopping block? Revered Seer. It has, uh, it, it used to be a four mana three three. It's now a four mana two two. And where uh, it used to say at the end of your turn, give plus one, plus one to a random creature in your hand. And then, if you're frenzied, also give plus one, plus one to each of your creatures on the board. So this was essentially the old version of Thundercaller with a plus one, plus one hand buff, and it didn't care about tribal tags in exchange for one more mana. So Thundercaller has definitely seen its overall impact reduced, lower floor, lower ceiling, and this seems very much the same uh, you know, it no longer buffs itself, uh, it no longer gives plus one, plus one to cre a creature in hand, and now it's a 2-2, two -two, so it can be taken off the board with nothing more than an axe woman. Yeah, this card got way weaker. I'm not, I doubt this sees any play anymore. Um, but I would say before it was definitely too strong, especially in conjunction with Thundercaller. You, you can't have so many cards that buff your entire board, all that come down one after another on the curve. 
Yeah, absolutely. All after Enduring Shield. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, this one, um, yeah, Thundercaller definitely still has, I guess, a high enough floor and a high enough ceiling to justify play for me. Like, if you even run, you know, four or six other Viking cards in your deck, Thundercaller is probably a worthwhile addition. Uh, whereas, yeah, the Revered Seer, I have a tough time justifying this, uh, you know, its inclusion in any war deck that I can conceptualize at this point. Um, you know, maybe we'll change our minds uh, further down the road. Maybe there is some additional synergy now with, uh, you know, those neutral armor creatures. If you can buff them with, you know, the new enraged god power and with something like Revered Seer, if you can stick this behind a bronze gate, you know, maybe you're pretty well off. But um, nevertheless, yeah, definitely reduced its power level by a lot yeah before it would be when it would come down it'd be a four mana four four most of the time now it's a four mana two two and it's always a two two and two two is easy to deal with so easy and rightfully so yes um next card up is inspiring scald uh this one is a two mana two three and its roar effect was give plus one plus one to a creature in your hand guaranteed and then if you're frenzied also give it twin strike that has been changed to a 2-mana two 2-3 two, with Roar. If you are frenzied, give Twin Strike to the weakest creature in your hand. So whereas before, the floor for this card was a 2-mana 3-4's worth of value, with an additional benefit if you're frenzied, now you it's a base 2-mana two 2-3, two, worse than Skeleton Heavy, and its upside is giving Twin Strike to the weakest creature in your hand, and that's conditional. This is another one similar to Revered Seer, where this is pretty much gone from an auto-include from my perspective to I don't know if I can justify putting this in my deck lists. What do you think? Yeah, this is the type of card where it may not sound horrible on paper, but there's there's just so many better options. Giving Twin Strike to your weakest creature is, is really only good if you're some sort of strange deck that has very few creatures, and so you know your weakest one's always going to be like a 5-mana card or like a 6-mana card. But, like, nine times out of ten, you'd rather just have Skeleton Heavy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd rather have something like Foreign Diplomat, I feel like. This, yeah, that's uh, a good comparison. You know, the the ceiling here is not all that high. Uh, like you said, maxing this out requires you to have a pretty wonky uh, hand or deck list. Um, and, you know, the, the floor is just a standard two-mana two-three, you know? You're not even getting fair value there. Um yeah, no, I, I don't know. Even in, like, Viking Synergy decks, I just... I think this is outclassed on too many levels now. Yeah, like, like what, best-case scenario, this hits, like, your Master Tactician, and now Master Tactician has Twin Strike? Like, yeah, that that's cool, but you also... You filled up one of the slots in your deck with a 2-mana two 2-3. Two, that doesn't work all the time. Yeah, fair play. Absolutely. Yeah, no, before, when... If you could stick the... Uh, plus one, plus one, and Twin Strike on Vanguard Axe Woman or Tavern Brawler, especially Tavern Brawler. Like, a two-mana three-four with Blitz and Twin Strike, yeah, that's nutty. Uh, that said, like, you know, those same interactions, a, a one-mana two-two with Twin Strike or a two-mana two-three with Blitz and Twin Strike, like, yeah, I don't know. The f you know, it's, it's, it's a nice to have, but the fact that it's conditional... And the fact that, you know, the base creature doesn't give you any kind of advantage, in fact, a small disadvantage, yeah, I'm not sure I see this scene play all that often. And isn't there a 3-mana a 3-3 three three 
that's roar effect to just give one of your creatures twin strike? Yes, there is. Yes, yeah, so like it's different because it's not in hand, but you get to choose it. Like, neither that card doesn't see very much play either. So You're right. I'm, I'm thinking that it's gonna follow that one. Yeah, absolutely should. And uh, not to mention, Twin Strike got a bit of a nerf in Onslaught being removed, so uh, yeah. can't even be abused there with like Cursed Kapara or something like that. Um, so, anyways, on to the uh, last war creature to be hit, Caged Berserker. Uh, Caged Berserker used to be a five mana two two with uh, some text. <laughs> uh, at the end of your turn, if you're frenzied, give plus two, plus two to this creature. Uh, now its base stats have been changed from a 2-2 two -two to a 1-1, one -one, and they also removed Blitz. So now, I guess, best case scenario, if uh, you frenzy turn one, two, three, four, and then play this on five, you have a five mana 9-9. Nine -nine. Just vanilla, you know? Which is still, uh, don't get me wrong, it's still very strong. Yeah, 5 mana 9-9 nine, nine sounds very big. It is hard to enrage, or not enrage, to frenzy on turn 1. Absolutely. Like, that's important to remember. Um, This one's interesting. Like, We were joking about this card during the week because it's so amazingly good. It's just so much worse than all the other war cards we already talked about. Yeah. You know, like... Before, you know, you enrage one time and it's a 5-mana 4-4 with Blitz. That's the same as Mordo's Daughter, you know, for its secondary effect. It's already good after one enrage. But, like, without the... I don't know, it's going to come down to how easy is it for Ward to proc Frenzy on, like, turn 2, 3, and 4. Because they, they have far fewer choices. You know, they don't, they're not going to play their Seers anymore. They might not play their Enduring Shields. They have all these open slots in their deck. Maybe this is still good enough? Yeah. It definitely got way worse. Losing Blitz was a huge deal for this. It used to be busted, despite not looking busted. Yeah. I guess maybe there is some synergy there between the Cage Berserker and Inspiring Scald still. If you play Inspiring Scald, you know, Cage Berserker as a 1-1 probably gets the Twin Strike. Maybe you can play Sound of the Charge to give it Blitz. Uh, all that said, it's a lot of work uh, for the same thing you got before for no work. So, uh, yeah, definitely a market reduction in power level. And, yeah, one that I'm super happy to see. I was really worried this would slip through the cracks because it was overshadowed by all of the other ridiculous stuff that War has had access to. Um, so, yeah, glad they caught it. Uh, one I'm surprised we haven't seen on this uh, balance patch there is Valka's Captain. Uh, that just seems like a very, you know, plus expected value card when it comes to two drops its floor being a 3-2 equip a 1-1 relic its ceiling being a 3-2 equip a 3-1 relic just uh just because of how much war took advantage of frenzied you know being able to equip a 1-1 relic even on turn one by pipping up into it you know you set yourself up pretty well for future turns um that said a lot of the a lot of the creatures or, uh, you know, a lot of the things that took the most advantage of being frenzied have gotten nerfs in this patch. So maybe maybe that brings Valka's Captain in line uh, with the rest of the, you know, two mana creatures from Divine Order uh, on its own. Maybe it ends up seeing a nerf somewhere down the line. But uh, nevertheless, really, really happy with the overall changes to war. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great. And uh, on the Valka's Captain note, I think Valka's Captain is obviously it's still really good 
but it's important to note that a ton of war cards just got hit really hard. And Valka's captain, although good, was not, like, insane in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it never won you games. Yeah, and now it's in this weird situation where if you have Valka's captain, you probably don't run any Enduring Shields, right? Because now they really reverse synergize. Yeah. In, this, in the sense that you want to play Valka's captain on turn two. You need a setup turn for Enduring Shield now, which means you're not playing the Valka's captain for a long time. Absolutely, yeah. Same goes for, uh, less so, but same goes for, um some other war staples like master tactician uh yeah that enduring shield change is is quite literally going to change everything so oh yeah 100%. probably the one i'm most stoked about with onslaught being a very very close second um so we are 28 minutes in uh let's start talking about other gods shall we hooray <laughs> on to the uh first non-war nerf of the patch we have shadow matriarch which used to be a three mana two two with hidden and uh, a passive ability, summon a Shadow of Lethanon. At the start of your turn. At the start of your turn. Uh, it also had backline, making it harder to reach if you also played some non-hidden creatures next door to it. Uh, this has had its health reduced from 2 to 1, and they also removed its backline. What do you think of this change? I think this is a good change. Uh, obviously... Deception hasn't seemed like particularly oppressive because War has been filling that role. But um, Shadow of Lethanon is one of the cards from Trial of the Gods that like slipped through the cracks balance-wise. Like That card can do a lot of really nutty things really easily. It's very uninteractive. Generally, people don't like uninteractive play. And uh, the Shadow Matriarch used to be able to play it. It'd be hidden. You'd get one cat, and then you could cheat it again and get a second cat. Now, you can't do that. It's much easier to deal with. You can handle the entire thing with a bar fight or a tracking bolt or wildfire. There's something for every god that can deal with it now, which is probably a good thing because the Shadow of Lethanons can be very obnoxious. Yeah, um, maybe with the exception of uh, Light. Yeah, Light has a really hard time dealing with cats. But um, that said, you know, Light often runs things like Athenian Archer, which can now remove this uh, on the subsequent turn. And, uh, you know... It no longer has backlines, so you don't have to worry about, like, you know, reaching around to hit it with your relic. You can just attack it straight away. Um, and, yeah, I'm especially thankful for this one because, like we said, I think we mentioned it just before, um, since the removal of Leech Life, you know, that was always the go-to response. Anytime a new player would come into the Discord and say, hey, how do you beat this, you know... It, it's a 4-1 on my opponent's first turn and it hits me for five every turn and I, I can't I can't get to it because it gets hidden at the end of every turn. You used to just say, well, just run Leech Life Nature. That'll solve your problem for you. Um, now with, you know, Leech Life removed, nature can still handle cats pretty easily. Like you alluded to, magic, uh, war. There are several gods that don't necessarily have a problem with it, but there are some gods like Light that um, may have a pretty big issue with it so um i was worried that once war was brought in line that uh yeah those aggro face deception decks may uh run things for a while but uh this this nerf should definitely help that uh help to mitigate that i guess uh at least in the short term until somebody figures out something busted yeah i do think hidden rush deception is still going to be very powerful just because like yeah nature still has random cards that can kill your cats but 
you always have leech life. It's always available to you, so you can always get rid of their cats. Now you have to get your underbrush bore, you have to have your canopy barrage, and you don't have infinite versions of those cards. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Any any uh, any combination of cards that can put your opponent on a six-turn timer on turn one by themselves, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty good. Uh, so yeah, any uh, any further help down the line that they were set to receive, I'm glad it's gotten its power level brought down a little bit. Uh, another card that fits into that same archetype pretty well was a Cobra Scepter, a two-mana zero-one relic that dealt two damage to your opponent every time they drew a card. Now the Murderman, is drawing a card unavoidable? Drawing a card is indeed unavoidable. Well, that's not true. If I can always have nine cards in hand, then I don't draw a card. Technically, yes. Uh, you still got to get there, so uh, you'd probably have taken at least eight damage at that point. Anywho, that's had its damage reduced from two to one, a 50% reduction that I am uh, happy to see. This is definitely a nerf with, uh, you know... Uh, uh, a preventative maintenance type of thing, you know? Get to something that is problematic before it becomes, you know, too problematic. Uh, you know, the Enduring Shield meta kind of boiled over in the balance channel there. Uh, aggro face deception wasn't quite there yet, so I'm glad they're uh, staying one step ahead of things and um, bringing its power level down. Because, again, similar to the Shadow of Lethanon, Unless you have Relic Removal, Cobra Scepter is not a very interactive card. Your opponent plays it, and you're just like, great, I'm guaranteed two damage per turn if I want to play things. You know, that's not a, that's not necessarily fun, I guess, for most people, uh, myself included. So, uh, yeah, both of those changes I'm happy to see, and uh, should definitely help us properly assess the rest of Deception, uh, you know, without those cards just being like, you know, hard mulligan for x and y and like you should win if you don't get it you should lose that kind of thing um yeah interested to see what a what a what deception lists end up making the cut and performing best in the meta yeah and the co-receptor even at one damage i think it's still quite good at two damage it was insane at two yeah. damage it was lambasting wand but it never goes away Fair. Like, even if you have no mill cards in your whole deck, you're just Deception Deck X, you play that, it's Lambastic Wand, you win in 15 turns no matter what. <laughs> One damage is still a lot of damage, because as you said before, drawing is inevitable. You always draw. Maybe now you have to run something like Stack the Deck if you want your Co-Receptor to be particularly broken. However, if you play this on turn two, how or on turn one, how many turns does it have to survive for it to be the best one drop? If it's around for five turns, it's done five damage, that's a Worm Breath for one mana over time i think this card is still very good yeah it's still two mana but uh, i get what you're saying there oh, yeah, sorry two um mana. yeah even like that that threshold for me would probably be you know four damage uh, you know spending two mana for four direct damage seems about right uh you know as far as like hitting that threshold of plus expected value uh so yeah you're definitely still demanding that your opponent be able to deal with it lest they you know suffer a death by a thousand cuts but um, yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> not as uh, ridiculously strong. It, it, you know, before you needed it to stick for two turns. Now you need it to stick for four. That's twice as long. Um, yeah, definitely a welcome change. Um, another one that was uh, dealing larger than expected amount of damage 
for its mana cost was Demetrios Playwright. Uh, I ran a deck this past weekend with Demetrios in it, and let me tell you, those drafts that it makes, they don't even need to be upgraded for it to already be an excellent card. Uh, for the uninitiated, Demetrios is a 2-mana 1-1 one, one with a roar effect, add a final draft to your hand. Uh, the final draft, its uh, base settings <laughs> are a 1-mana spell that deals 1 damage and draws 1 card. Now, Demetrios also has Order 10, making it a bit harder to remove for your opponent, unless they have ping or spell damage. Uh, and every time it's stuck, at the start of your turn, you would upgrade your final drafts, meaning the amount of damage that it dealt and the amount of cards that it drew would both increase by one at the end, uh, or at the start of each of your turns, uh, resulting in just some ludicrous plays where, you know, you spend one mana, you, you deal five damage because you have a spell boost creature and you draw four cards worth of reload. Just ridiculous. Now, it only upgrades one draft in your hand. Before, you could copy your final drafts with something like Magic Inks and Demetrius would upgrade both of them which just, you know, created some bonkers OTK potential. Uh, now it only increases, it only upgrades one draft, and each time you upgrade your draft, it also increases in mana cost. So it'll be a one mana spell, deals one, draw one, two mana spell, deal two, draw two, all of which are still plus expected value for their mana cost. It's just a far cry worse than it used to be. This is another change I'm really happy to see. Uh, I think our TS teammate Business Socks summed it up pretty succinctly where he said, uh, I'm glad they brought its power level down without making it unplayable. Do you agree with him? Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. I've played a, a good amount of like spell boost magic the last couple of days, and th that card at one mana is just insane. If it's like base power becomes two damage, it's really easy to have one, two, five spell boost. And all of a sudden, like, for one mana, you're dealing so much damage, you're refilling your entire hand. If you had to spend five mana to deal five damage and draw five cards, that's still the best card in the game. Yeah. I think it's totally fair. So be it, exactly. Yeah, it's a legendary, so it should be very strong. And it's it's hard to get it to its final form. Oh, for sure, 100%, yeah. Um, and But I like that its floor is still the exact same. Uh, you know, it's essentially three mana, one one body, deal one damage, draw one card. That's a really cool, fairly valued legendary card, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I think it'll definitely still justify a spot in the same decks I was running it in before. It just brings the power level down to, you know, something more reasonable. So uh, excellent change here, in my humble opinion. Yeah, this, this, was, this is like the ideal nerf. All nerfs should be like this. Perfect, perfect job, at least from my perspective i haven't played it once yet super fair yeah hard speculation but i tend to agree with you um th uh, this next nerf there uh definitely hits those same magic decks quite a bit harder uh from my perspective from the first day of the ptr there were two god powers that i was uh skeptical about their power level to say the least uh those being palace's genius and neferu's sacrifice both of which have seen the exact same balance change in that their mana cost has been increased from 2 to 3. Now, I think this affects those god powers uh, quite a bit differently. 
I think Palace's genius is so, so much worse than it was before. Uh, that's not to say like it wasn't OP before. I definitely thought it was overpowered relative to the other god powers available. Uh, that said, it becomes four mana for like a 60-40 chance that you deal two damage plus, you know, an additional effect, or you draw a card plus a marginal additional effect. Um, that's a massive difference. That is such a big difference. Uh, you can no longer pip up into it just to get ahead of the game as far as card economy goes. Um, yeah, this, uh, I think this change from two to three definitely hurts Palace's genius a lot more than it hurts Neferu's sacrifice. Uh, what do you think about the situation? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I think Palace's genius might just be like a meme god power now. Because like you said before, you have to spend four mana to get use out of this god power. That's an insane amount. And you can miss. Like, if you need two damage and you miss it and you devote three to four mana to it, like that's that's game losing. You can't waste that much mana multiple times. And three mana to draw a card for enough for your sacrifice, like, that's not horrible. It means you're not going to be able to get the turn to Rock Drake Egg, you know, when you go second. <laughs> Good, <laughs> but you, which I th you know I think a, a turn two two six and drawing two cards is it, maybe that's too good for a two card combo. Maybe yeah, who knows? But uh, drawing a card from your deck definitely still good. Three mana is way way more fair. Control death decks can't just god power on turn one anymore. So I think when you compare the two, Nefru's sacrifice still seems playable. Still could be the best death god power. Palace of genius I think is unplayable. I think now you go mage bolt every time. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly on the Palace's Genius front, and I I've been thinking a lot about Neferu's Sacrifice, because uh, that one was the most obviously problematic to me. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, after the first day in the PTR, uh, I scrapped together the first Death of Zoo deck that came to mind with the new cards involved, and uh, immediately proceeded to go like 12-0 and 0 with it, with no issue, uh, you know, almost playing half-heartedly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very simple reason why. Neferu's Sacrifice was two mana, get closer to your win condition, that being 15 or less health, and find your win condition in draw card, which is just uh, like an insane amount of uh, just uh, value. And you could even argue it was, it was uh, at some amount of tempo in that it enabled those later turns where you play your 15 or less health stuff, or you pip into Rock Drake Egg Untold Greed on turn two, and now you have a 6-5 on, on two mana. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this uh, this change definitely hurts some of those more oppressive interactions from Neferu's Sacrifice. That said, three mana, get closer to your win condition, and draw your win condition. I think that god power is only viable in a domain where the god has access to hard removal and doesn't care so much about letting the board get a bit out of hand because it can wipe the whole thing in one go. And uh, I can't think of a domain better equipped to do that than death. So um, I definitely still think this is the best death god power, and I would probably argue that it's now the second best god power in the game. Um, which is a is an interesting question uh, we spoke briefly about before the show. Uh, this is not these are not the only two god power changes. Maybe we should get to the third and final real quick. Okay, this is um, this is a big deal since <laughs> since Copper Pitch isn't here. I will 
fill the role of copper pitch. And this change to flourish has made me furious. Why did they do this? The old text, give plus one strength and regen to one of your creatures until your next turn. Now, it's plus one strength and regen until your opponent's turn? Caution, I'm so mad. What are your thoughts? That is a great impression. Um, you forgot to uh, call me your best friend, but uh, it's one of my favorite things about coffee. Gosh, it's my turn to talk now. Sorry. I'm very upset about this. <laughs> all right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, so Flourish, uh, in all seriousness, yeah, it's a, it's a really marginal change. It's also one I'm not sure why this was considered a priority or even something that, you know, they wanted to do or were thinking about so far. Um, I, I Like, was... Was Animal Bond not the best nature god power? Oh, yeah. I've been under the impression if you're playing nature and you don't pick Animal Bond, you've already made a mistake. Animal Bond is way better than the Amazon version. It's the same stats of creatures for two men instead of three. And one twos are better than two ones. Two ones get killed by archers. And Flourish doesn't really affect your opponent's side of the board at all. So, yeah, Animal Bond is was the best one already, and now the second best choice, which was way worse than the best choice, is slightly worse. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, Flourish's best application, uh, at least from my perspective, was making your value trades even more valuable in that you would recover one health at the end of turn, and it would be a little bit harder for your opponent to remove the subsequent turn. Um, that said, this uh, I guess this doesn't change that interaction all that much uh it, it just it definitely makes it you know easier to remove when it swings back to your opponent's turn uh, it'll have you know it'll lose that strength buff um so yeah not really sure uh why this was chosen as the third or i guess fourth god power to target if you can count the uh enrage and onslaught swap but um all that said we have a new version of flourish Palace's Genius and Neferu's Sacrifice now cost three. And we no longer have Onslaught. We have this new version of Enrage. So that begs the question. What is the best god power, just in a vacuum, in the game right now? I would p posit that it's Summon Acolyte, which worries me because I always get concerned when Light has even passable god powers, and now they might have the best one. But I'm not sure, and I'm open to changing my mind. Any thoughts on the subject? Yeah, so, like, Summon Acolyte definitely got better, especially with um, Onslaught going away. I think Nefru's Sacrifice is still really good. I think Cheat is a god, or now it's Orpheo's Distraction. Um, the new Cheat God Power, I think that's really good. Dealing one damage to an enemy creature is incredibly powerful, and it also has the offensive application of hiding your stuff. I think Orpheo's decision... One of those. Orpheo's god power, I think, is a sleeper pick for, like, potentially best. It's very versatile. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's super fair. Um, we have yet to see the new enraged god power in practice. Yeah, maybe that's the best. Maybe. I mean, if you can stick enough armor creatures on the board, I could definitely see it paying off the most. Um, that said, yeah, um, I think I might be in the summon acolyte camp until uh until further notice i reserve the right to change my mind after i actually play the game um <laughs> imagine that uh yeah that's uh, is definitely an interesting question to raise and um i 
have no doubt in my mind that the most prevalent deck this weekend will be the answer to that question. Um, but remains to be seen. I'm open oh, to being wrong. You know what else is a potential like really great god power? Is uh, the new Thievery, which was sort of like a worse version of Palace's Genius because it was way less consistent. But now it's like Palace of Genius 50% off. Yeah, but you're way not less wrong. consistent. But way less consistent, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there are just there are some gods where like I mean if you're going against magic, it's fantastic. Oh, if you're if going you... against magic and nature, it's really, really good. I played a lot of Theory Deception. If you play against war, it's so frustrating. Because war has some great one drops. They have the bar fight, they have the deadly arsenal, they have the boiled blood outlaw guy. And then they have weapon hurls and whetstones and reckonings. And like it's when you don't have relics in your deck, it's such a big deal. You just got power, and just now you can only have eight cards in your hand. Interesting, yeah, huh? So yeah, I guess that that probably has a similar ceiling to the old palace's genius, but a much much lower floor. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I, in a vacuum, again, I would probably still rank cheat above uh, thievery, uh, but slightly below Nefri's Sacrifice and Summon Acolyte. But um, yeah, let's wait for some data to roll in and uh, maybe we can figure that out by next week's episode. Um, back to the balance patch, back to some card changes. Uh, this is one that I had to look up. Uh, Cursed Obelisk is a, it was a five mana one four with backline and Roar, summon a 1-1 zombie. And then at the end of your turn, if you are frenzied, summon a 1-1 zombie. Otherwise, deal 1 damage to this creature. So now, it has backline, and they added can't attack. And it no longer summons a 1-1 zombie on Roar. It's the same end of turn effect. If you're frenzied, summon a 1-1 zombie. But it has no downside if you are not frenzied, it no longer takes one damage. Uh, so essentially you're giving up the roar, summon a 1-1 one, one zombie, the ability to attack with it, and in exchange there's no longer a downside to not being frenzied. Uh, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I think this card was irrelevant yesterday, and I think it's going to be irrelevant tomorrow. I think well this, said. I think this is a great example of not all cards are good. Super fair. Yep, they can't be. Yeah, they else. don't all need to be good. This is this is the type of card where if it's in the sanctum, sometimes you go, hey, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. If there weren't bad cards, there wouldn't be good cards, and everything would be skeleton heavy. Yeah. I love this change. Great job. <laughs> this, just like Flourish, I think affects the meta 0%. Ideally. Interesting that they snuck it in there. I, I just I, I read it, and I was like, what in the H is Cursed Obelisk? I had to, had to give it a look-see. I have never once considered that card I actually looked at in that any card. capacity. Yeah, I looked at that card last night because I was thinking, there's going to be a balance patch, and they really want structures to work. So I, I researched all the structures. Interesting. Maybe there's structure synergies that make this playable. Mm-mm. Probably not. Like, how badly do you really want a 1-1 one, one zombie? You're going through a lot of hoops to get a 1-1 one, one zombie, and it's a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, I, one card that I do think may deserve a little lucky-loo uh, somewhere down the line is Arch of Amenmos. Oh, that card's nuts. That That's card a zombie is card. nuts. Yeah, for real. So maybe they do, they were just like, look, before zombies start to take over, maybe let's just hit one of their peripheral tools. Uh, yeah, they, they missed. This is the wrong structure. <laughs> yeah, one-off. Um maybe next time around. 
Um, and last but certainly not least, we have a change to what was personally my favorite legendary from the new set. Oh, yeah, same here. This guy's great. Finian Fruitbearer. Great name. Was a great card. Still might be. Uh, before, after this creature attacked, you would deal one damage to the enemy god, regardless of where you attacked. And at the end of your turn, if you were frenzied, summon a 1-1 Vibrant Fruit. Now, same thing, at the end of your turn, if you're frenzied, summon a 1-1 Vibrant Fruit. But it no longer deals 1 damage to the enemy god on any attack. So you have to be able to swing something at the enemy god in order to capitalize on, you know, generating the Vibrant Fruits at the end of turn. It can't just proc it itself, even if it attacks, like, you know, a frontline creature or something along those lines. It can't make a trade and proc frenzied in the same turn. Uh, so definitely lowering the floor and ceiling on this card. Uh, what do you think about the change here? Was it warranted? Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily warranted, but you know, like we've all been saying for the last couple of weeks, we have no idea how good cards that aren't war cards are because it's been so long since Enduring Shield controls the meta and a two mana card that you want to play on turn two that's the type of card we have no idea what that's about that got eliminated every time against war and like i the vibrant fruits like they're quite strong if you can make a handful of them they tend to buff your finian fruit bear and the buffer finian fruit bear gets the harder he is to deal with and the better value trades he can make which makes that automatic frenzy thing that much better like i had a handful of games where like a fruit bear got out of hand maybe now that enduring shield is gone fruit bear would get out of hand way more often and ultimately, I think a 2-mana two 2-3 two, is decent stats, doesn't get killed by Vanguard Axelman, and the Vibrant Fruits are really good. I think the card is still decent, and uh, it could have been problematic, but I, I have no idea because the War cards were so good. Absolutely, yeah. If I'm, uh, really regardless of what nature deck I'm trying to run, uh, it's been a while because of War, but, um, you know, one of my favorite uh, things to pip up into on turn one is some combination of Marshwalker and Shieldbearer, or Marshwalker and Chiron, or quite simply, uh, especially if I'm going second, was Fayflame Blade. And Fayflame Blade, you know, even if you swing with, uh, you know, both attacks the turn you play it, you still have two durability, which can be used to just swing face and proc frenzied. Um, so, you know, the likelihood of you being able to uh, you know, summon that vibrant fruit, the turn that you play Finian Fruit Bearer. I don't know if it's all that affected, but yeah, now you can't just pip up into Finian Fruit Bearer, not worry about whether or not they summon like a Pyramid Warden or something. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, it, it was a, it was a card where I could see situations where if your opponent had it on turn one and you couldn't immediately deal with it, that dictated the outcome of the game way more than a two mana card probably should. Um, so yeah, and like you said, you know, two mana cards were the most adversely affected by Enduring Shield's presence, so this very well could have been far too consistent to be reasonable with Enduring Shield out of the picture. So yeah, again, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. I just assume that they're getting out ahead of something that would have been problematic now that Enduring Shield has been removed. Yeah, those are good. Those are all, all fairly good points. And um, that is the balance patch in its entirety very exciting onslaught is gone can you believe onslaught is gone you know it still hasn't i i, I still don't think it's hit me i can't believe um, it you know i made that hit single me make trade over a year ago and despite going through two nerfs directly to onslaught and a ton of peripheral nerfs 
the entire song was still perfectly relevant until today. And I just don't know what it's going to be like going into the weekend ranked, queuing up into a ranked game, and just not having to brace myself for an Onslaught game. It was a real test of my mental fortitude every time I ran into Onslaught. Not because it's difficult to play around. Every game is the same. I know what I'm doing. I could play that with my eyes closed. But just because it made me want to stop playing so badly. So not having to overcome that feeling. Oh man, what a weight off my chest. Again, I haven't played this new meta. I already know it's going to be better. Oh yeah, I guarantee the new meta is better. Simply because you have the same sentiment as most everybody else. You don't have fun playing against Onslaught, and you play games to have fun. I think the game has improved greatly. Agreed, wholeheartedly. But uh, this does leave us with a question. You know, we're competitive players. Uh, a lot of people are here for that top 10 uh, Mythic leaderboard on the weekends, trying to get those rewards packs. Uh, this whole patch, you know, obviously opens the door to so many new archetypes that I, you know, simply couldn't see play before. Uh, so it begs the question, what will the post-war meta look like? Do you have any best guesses, Mudman? Uh, yeah, I would say light and nature benefited the most from this. Mostly light. I think light is going to be, if, if it's not the best god, it's going to be the second best god or close to it. They have so many really good cards. And, you know, anyone who's been playing for a long time knows that Light tries to win the early board, and if they can't win the early board, they lose. It's almost impossible to win the early board against the old war decks. Now it's going to be way easier. And uh, for the longest time, Light's worst matchup was Onslaught. Onslaught doesn't exist anymore. It got substantially better. There's no more Palace's genius to get lots of, uh, you know, two mana or two damage pings to get rid of the uh, summon Acolytes. Light has just been improved greatly. It has CERN which is an insane card that hasn't been able to thrive yet because of all those war decks. CERN is crazy good. And on the, the note of CERN, CERN synergizes with Golden Harp, right? And right now, every deck pretty much has 29 cards in it because at least one of them is Relic Removal. And that Relic Removal will probably come out at least in the beginning of the new meta, and that means your Golden Harps can live. If you want to run the Trial of the Gods Relic, the one that buffs them, you can do that. Just light got really good, and light has a bunch of busted cards, but they just have they haven't had any game because they just lose to war. Yeah, those those are all great points. Um, I'd considered you know onslaught being light's worst matchup traditionally, and that opening the door for them. I'd considered the fact that with the nerfs to Palace's genius and Nefru's sacrifice, light may have the best god power in the game right now, and enduring shield's effect on the early board versus Light's, you know, reliance on capturing the early board and then capitalizing on it better than any other god. I'd considered all of those things. I hadn't even considered the fact that Light's relics got better simply because relic removal is no longer an auto-include because Enduring Shield can't just single-handedly beat you anymore. And the Cobra Relic's gone too. Like, that was another prevalent relic. If that... That'll see less play, at least in the beginning, because no one likes playing nerfed cards. So like, there's no reason to run Relic Removal at the moment, and Light has so many good Relics. Wow, yeah. I will say that the new the new Enrage, 
The new Enraged seems like it's also really good against light because as you know, you're a huge fan of Life's Levy. <laughs> and um, the new Enraged God power makes it so your Pyramid Wardens and your Bronze Gates don't get Life's Levied. That's a pretty big deal. Very well could be. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, good. Maybe, you know, maybe light will finally be good. And nature, um, too. Nature gets way better, seeing as they also want to win the early boards so they can stick their wildfires or whatever they're going to do to inevitably buff. And nature is decent against light. They have three threes. Light likes when their opponents have two attack creatures. It, generally, any board-centric deck that cares about the early game, they got a big buff because the best god has gone away. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I do wonder... Um... I, I can't shake this feeling that maybe it's just because after every big, you know, shift in balance in the meta, it's often aggro decks that are most prevalent right, at, like, immediately following the changes. Just because aggro decks, you know, they don't need the same level of optimization as control lists. They're the most intuitive. There's a lot of, uh, you know, just auto-includes across the board in any aggro deck you know i'm talking shield bear yeah things along those lines little pingers that kind of thing um I, I i do wonder if people's first instinct is going to be those all-out deception face lists despite the nerfs to cobra scepter and uh the matriarch there because those didn't exist before and aggro deception already has some unbeatable turn one turn two combos for most lists and with Leech Life no longer in the picture, I can see people immediately gravitating towards those all-out aggro deception lists. So for that reason, I wonder if that'll be enough to hold Light in check, at least at first, because they're one of the least well-equipped gods to handle those Shadow of Lethanon openings. Uh, it also might be a boon to nature, because they're one of the most well-equipped gods, even without Leech Life. So, um, yeah, it might be an interesting tug-of-war over... Who can, uh, who can maintain board supremacy slash handle Shadow of Lethanon? Um, I don't know. Remains to be seen. But uh, boy, am I excited that we finally have questions to answer again. Yeah, it's gonna be great. But just on the on the light first, uh, hidden rush deception note. I've I've been playing a lot of light because I've been anticipating them being good eventually. And um, like that new four mana card, protective Benedictus. Uh, whatever that is, the way you pick two options. One of them is always armor, and then it's plus two health, uh, protected or frontline. I've had a handful of games where I'm playing against aggro deception and they're doing their thing, and I give all my things armor and I make all of my creatures have frontline, and now you can't cheat them. So like, like that's the that protected Benedictus card is like your win condition in all matchups because it's really really good, and it has one option that's like specifically good against deception. It doesn't kill the cats, but it does block them slightly. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, light also has access to heals, yep. uh, which may be necessary. Not that much heal when you compare it to like death, though. And especially if you don't pick the heal god power, if you summon Acolyte, then you're substantially less healing. Yeah, that's super fair. Um, yeah, that said, uh, you're right. I, I, I do, I'm now thinking about, you know, my experience playing light in the past. And um, we brought up Golden Harp already. Golden Harp is all-out face aggro deception's worst nightmare. It undoes mm -hmm. the one-damage pings from a Shadow of Lethanon, and it creates a frontline creature that they have to cheat through every turn, heals up your previously cheated frontline creatures. So yeah, between 
The Olympian guards, the pyramid wardens, the golden harps, the highborn knights. Yeah, yeah, I think they might have enough front line to just stop that from being it. Light's going to be really Oh, did really you say Bronze good. Gate? Bronze Gate's there. Bronze Gate's great. Bronze Gate's light. there. Oh, man. Like, you give it more uh, army, you give it more health, you get it buffed by Asterius. Well, time for me to start whipping out that trademark phrase, Light OP. Yeah, Caution hates Light, and Light is really good. I don't want to harp on that protected Benedictus card. Nice pun. But, uh, thank you. But uh, that card it, it increases the health and gives armor or gives armor and it protected. And that makes it so your creatures never go away, which means you protected Benedictus them again or you Asterius them all. And you have huge Asteriuses. You always get like four or five creatures on the Asterius and it's crazy. Oh, man. At light seems really good. Whew. All right. Well, hey, yeah. The balance phase is not over, thankfully. Uh, so, like I said, this is an important first step. and um, It's a great first step. The whole balance <laughs> yeah, team yeah. should be so stoked. You did a fantastic job. Yes. Thank, more like this. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, thank you for doing it. And, like, this was a big win. If, like, if the next balance patch is a big win and the patch after that's a big win... Everyone will forget about this like past like couple of months of it being bad. <laughs> We're all gonna be oh man, video James and Brim, these guys are kings. They're so good at this. You're so close to being loved by everyone. So close. Fingers crossed and best of luck going forward, guys. And again, thank you for delivering. And man, it's gonna be nice to look forward to playing again this weekend. Um, so now that uh, now that we have. The first balance patch in the books. Uh, there were a couple of cards from the new Divine Order set that uh, a lot of people in the Discord I, I've seen were, uh, I guess, voicing concerns about power creep, you know, coming into the game there. Uh, you know, a lot of cards that seem to be directly displacing their, you know, comparable counterparts in the previous two sets being Genesis and uh, uh, Trial of the Gods there. There's also some concern from free-to-play players with cards from this new set uh, easily outpacing cards that are available to free-to-play players. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that they hit uh, Thundercaller and uh, Rolling Thunder because there were some pretty easy uh, Genesis and Trial comps that they just like vastly outpaced. Uh, although it might be fair to say they just outpaced anything and everything. Um, that said, what do you think personally about the level of quote-unquote power creep in Divine Order after this balance patch? And um, do you think it's something that may need addressing You know, down the road? Uh, I think the power creep has been like greatly exaggerated. Um, I think it will be addressed down the road. I think we can use today as an example. They're still in the balancing phase. Everything can be balanced. Like, think of all the cards that were changed from Trial of the Gods. They, they, there were a ton of cards that were nerfed, and now they're like on par. A lot of people say Trial of the Gods is weaker than Genesis. This is definitely the strongest set right now, but it's also, we just had our first balance patch. Like, next week when CERN is too good, maybe they make CERN a 3-3. That's just speculation. <laughs> but, you know, it's like like lots of stuff. Like, yeah, the cards are better than they are now, but they're going to get nerfed. They're going to be fair. You're always going to be able to argue that there is a power creep because the cards will do different things. 
you know, like, oh, these two cards are similar, but this one's better in this situation, power creep. You know, that's just conjecture. Yeah. But uh, there are still some, like, direct comps. Uh, one, <laughs> one that's uh, been noted throughout the community is the difference between uh, Bronze Gate and the, uh, what is it, is it Portcullis? Yeah, it doesn't matter, but that one's called, that <laughs> one's particularly egregious because it's essentially the same card art, the same <laughs> stats, the same mana cost. Yeah, both three mana two fours that cannot attack with frontline, but uh, one of them has armor one and the other doesn't. So uh, yeah, that's a really, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a low-hanging fruit, pun intended, uh, you know, to call to, to claim power creep. Um, that said, I, I tend to agree with your uh, macro viewpoint there in that everything is still balanceable. Uh, we should probably save those types of conclusions until after the balancing phase has ended. Uh, in the meantime, if you see an example of something that has a direct comp from an earlier set that, you know, just is vastly superior to uh, the previous iteration, uh, I would say probably consider, you know, was the previous iteration good enough to see play? If not, then, you know, the power creep is probably not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, bringing more cards into the uh, playable spectrum is, you know, having more options. I'll never be against that. Um, that said, if it's like an obvious case of power creep where the new iteration uh, could be considered OP, now's the time to voice your opinions and uh, they can always change it. Yeah, we're in the balancing phase. And on the, the welcome set thing, they, the wel there's a lot of welcome set cards. They're just weaker versions of other cards. Look at like Dockside Prowler and like Needlefang Lizard. Chameleon, yeah, yeah, Chameleon. Yeah, yeah like th there's a ton of just like, yeah, the welcome set version is like slightly worse. It's really just designed to tell you what Hidden does. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, game director Chris Clay and the design and balance team have uh, stated in the past that the welcome set is not intended to be a top-tier uh, meta-level set. It's meant to, yes, uh, introduce you to the different keywords and their functionality and also give you easy opportunities to upgrade your decks as you build out your collection, which, you know, is one of the primary purposes of a trading card game. So, um, and especially with, uh, integrated play to earn economy. So, um, yeah, I'm certainly not against cards that people have to buy being better than the cards that are given to everybody for free, regardless of anything. Um, yeah, that said, uh, you know, the, the investor in me is uh, like a little bit worried about, you know, maybe some of my Genesis cards or my trial cards being power crept out of relevance at some point down the line. Uh, but again, I think it's far too early to come to any macro conclusions on that front, uh, namely because we don't know what things are going to look like a couple of months from now. So, um, yeah, no, another thing to note with, uh, like, from an investor standpoint, like, what if your Genesis cards get weaker? Like, uh, with the announcement of, like, Ward 2.0, that was a change that, you know, secondarily affected a lot of Genesis and trial cards that have already been locked in place. So, like, things can happen in the future that, let's say, makes Ward better. Like, you know, that's actually happening. Like, so your Highborn Knights have gone up in value all of a sudden. Hooray! And your Ashen Drakes have gotten worse. So, like, they, they could always change things peripherally to increase the power of genesis cards like we're seeing it in action with war 
Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's the beauty of an ever-changing meta, and uh, you know, especially when the balance team comes in with the intent of shaking things up. The balance team hit a home run with this one. Onslaught is gone. Enduring Shield is normal. Yeah, I I really like. Again, I I keep saying it hasn't sunk in, but like, I I just I know it hasn't because you know I I'm really happy, but I think about like how sad those cards and god powers existence made me before and i am nowhere as near the inverse of how sad i was before so uh you know it's definitely going to keep hitting me in waves and i couldn't be more stoked to get started playing i can't wait until i run into war for the first time on ladder and like not even for a second do i roll my eyes and think this guy's gonna be onslaught oh man it's never gonna be onslaught what do you think the adjustment period's gonna be like i know i'm still gonna be bracing myself when i see oh war. yeah definitely I'm, I'm gonna my whole body's gonna clench and that's I'm gonna, so funny. and then i'm gonna see enraged i'm gonna go oh fun <laughs> oh man what a feeling oh boy well uh so that covers again i think it's fair to say it this way the most anticipated balance patch in god's unchained history momentous uh, day momentous day absolutely what's the date actually october 6th no more onslaught where were you october oh, 6th right here baby thanks for being here too guys uh yeah like i said uh, uh copper pitch will be back next week but uh Mudman, it has been an absolute pleasure having you uh thanks for coming on and uh filling those big big shoes and, huge uh, shoes yeah no just really happy to have you on man special day oh yeah thanks for having me i had a great time uh if you guys liked me feel free to comment and say Mudman should be here forever and if you really liked me go to the team stream team youtube channel and check out these youtube videos they're all great i'm getting better with every video caution's got a riveting thing about the white papers <laughs> get your popcorn ready <laughs> you have been killing it on the youtube front lately big shots for that thank you and if someone uh, wants to just tell me they like my thumbnails that's, just, all, that's all i want just tell my man you like him he loves dms i love dms especially if you say that i'm buff <laughs> um thank you as always for tuning into pods unchained and um until next week please so take it easy things are so bright for you i hope that is you bring so much so excited for you things are so bright for you i hope that is healing you you bring so much fortitude i'm so excited for you